Good morning all, Steve Parisi here with IBC Global. Hope your day is off to a fantastic start. So today we have a true professional, someone I have truly enjoyed meeting and getting to know, uh, Elizabeth Morgan. Elizabeth, how are you this morning? I'm great, Steve. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, no, thanks so much for making some time. I think our listeners are really going to enjoy this. I've enjoyed getting to know you over the past, well, beginning of this year, actually. Right. So there's a lot I want to talk talk about today as far as what you do and your, your expertise just around estate planning, tax planning, cash value insurance, just with your background as well. But I think what everyone will enjoy the most is the story of how we met. Because I look back and I, I kind of, I always smirk and laugh about it, just like where we are now compared to that first meeting. I do. It, it's really funny. So I, I definitely want to start with that, um, if it's all right. <laughs> oh, that sounds great. All right. So I, I guess I'll, I'll kind of lead with this. Um, a couple, uh, some clients had reached out, this was end of 2020, about cash value life insurance, which is what my company does. Um, love the couple. They are, you know, refer to them as a young super couple, move extremely fast. I'm impressed with them in so many ways. Um, but went through the product, how it worked. They said, okay, we like it. Um, you know, what are the next steps? We look at everything. And I got a text from the husband. And that text, um, from what I can recall, it said, hey, I'm going to introduce you to our trust attorney. She deals with high net worth individuals. She's very good. She wants to speak to you directly. Are you open? Like, yeah, sure. You know, I've talked to other attorneys before. No, no problem. I'm happy to meet. Um, and he also said, yeah, she's one of the three people in the world I trust with my money. And the other one's my wife. So himself, his wife and you. I'm like, yeah, no problem at all. So <laughs> heading into that, I'm like, all right, she, she's got to be good. But I'll be honest, most attorneys I've talked to typically know what cash value life insurance is, know the bullet points around taxation and such, but that's about it. Like the technical details, I was going into that thinking, okay, you know, most attorneys, they're not specialists there. So that was my mindset going in. And now I want to stop talking and kind of hear what your mindset was going into the meeting before we met. Good. Well, so that's really good. So I... Uh... Uh, it is such a funny story because I, I really don't like life insurance salespeople at all. I've had really um, kind of crazy experiences with them over the years, um, which maybe we could have an, another podcast I'd have to do without mentioning names. But the industry is just rife with people who would, you know, seriously would, you know, slit their grandmother's throat to to get a commission and i know that's pretty graphic but honestly that's how extreme it, it is so when these clients said okay because i'd been talking to them about the concept of using life insurance as a tax management tool right so the general concepts and um and so they went out and found you steve and so they said Elizabeth, we found this great guy. And I was like, oh yeah, right. Okay, fine. Um, yeah, I'll talk to him. I'm, you know, I'm sure that, that uh, he'll be like all the other insurance people. And our call, just um, so your listeners know, Steve is one of the nicest people on the planet because as my children say, I, I, I'm, I look nice and I'm nice, but I'm also terrifying. 
So I was actually pretty terrifying on that call. I was bound and determined to figure out what Steve was selling and how it was going to hurt my clients. And by the end of the call, I was just, you know, I, I, I couldn't really believe it was true. So I kind of circled back. Remember, Steve, at the end, I circled back on your commission and your fee structure. And, and we kind of closed with that. And I was like, well, this looks like a really good deal yeah. for, mm -hmm. for my client. So I went into it very negative, wanting, you know, with a bias toward not liking you or, or the product that you had put together. And it was so well thought out and you were so transparent and straightforward that you won me over, which was, was saying something truthfully. Gotcha. No, well, well, thanks for that. And the transparency piece too, I appreciate you mentioning that. That's in our mission statement. And that's been really a personal mission of mine from day one to make all this stuff transparent because it's so, you can go so deep with it. And sometimes it's deliberate where it's confusing toward people, circling back to the compensation that you mentioned. Like there's so many moving parts, but um, no, I mean, transparency, I mean, that's our, our big focus, that inconvenience in the industry. So. Right. We've had a lot of fun. Yeah, no, I remember that call. Um, but specifically through the call, what what kind of left an impression on me was two things. One, when I've spoke with attorneys before, they know you know how to structure life insurance in an estate. They understand that. But when it comes to the cash value, which is what your clients are interested in, hey, the cash value benefit, here's how it works. Most attorneys know, okay, it builds up over time. Here's a couple of bullet points. The stuff you were were asking about, I had not seen. I asked you, I'm like, did you ever have your life insurance license? If you recall in that meeting. Yeah. Specifically, one thing you mentioned with one of the examples, funding it for a long period of time with that decreasing term rider, how the death benefit went up. You're like, okay, that wouldn't cause a push out, which means you won't have a long-term mech. I'm like, all right, half my agents don't even know what that means. So like, how do you know this stuff? So that kind of, you knew your stuff and I know like, all right, this person's different than the other attorneys I've talked to. So that that impressed me. But then the second thing, like while you definitely came in defending them, you did it in, how can I put this, a respectful way where it was not negative, like a, a demeaning or aggressive manner whatsoever. So that, like if I'm ever defending anyone, I'm going to be respectful of the other side, but also firm. So you right. had you had the knowledge and you did it right just from my point of view, um, which which is a lot to say. I mean, that's rare to find out there. And that's really after that that meeting, I reached out to you again because I wanted to know more about your practice, which we'll get into next um, to see, OK, I, I've been looking for an attorney for a long time, one personally, but one that can kind of align with our practice for our clients that are looking for that extra piece with estate planning and such that not only is going to do the right thing, but actually knows what they are talking about and has the experience. And when you talk to them for five minutes, like, okay, that person has it. I want to work with them. What are the next steps? You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And I think, Steve, the difference is that um, people who are defensive and angry and hostile, there's a reason, usually because they're selling something or they have a different agenda, right? So I think the key, the key to be a professional um, advisor for clients, you, you cannot have any other agenda but your clients, right? right? 
So um, I think that in, in this industry, in the world where you work, the world where I work, the majority of people who are out there have a hidden agenda. So your transparency, that's the reason that clients don't want to work with people is because they're afraid that there's a hidden agenda. And that's because the majority of people have a hidden agenda. Yeah. So if you if, if your only agenda is to do what's best by your clients, then your job is to find the best thing for your clients. So why would you be hostile, right? And, and but kind of my message to your listeners is that there are a lot of people out there who have a different agenda and it's hard to know what that agenda is. So I think that's a differentiating factor um, you know, in, in this discussion. The other thing too, the reason I know about life insurance is that, um, you know, what I do for clients is help them manage risk. And that risk can be all kinds of things. It can be business risk. It can be tax risk. It can be um, creditor risk. It can be, you know, all kinds of risk. It can be banking risk, right? So my job is to identify the risks for my clients and find a tool to um, alleviate that risk. So in the life insurance world, life insurance is really the only tax shelter we have, the only legal tax shelter we have as U.S. citizens. So uh, it's an amazing tax uh, product, but but it's not a good tax product if the fees are so, uh, if there's so much that's drawing away from the cash that that cash isn't doing what we want it to do, which is to grow income tax free. So the reason I know knew about that issue is that we've been doing high cash value. Well, in the old days, it was private placement. And I had asked you about that. So the product that you've come up with is actually better from uh, because if you're looking for a bond substitute, which is really what our my clients were looking for. So I had talked to them about private placement, but it wasn't the perfect product. So they had found you and your product actually solves for their particular um, need better than a private placement product because private placement is going to be a variable contract that's going to have primarily equities. Yeah. So, um, so I think that yeah, the difference is that most lawyers are they'll stay in their lane, and I've never viewed that as my job. My job is to know the universe and understand the risks of my clients and find the answer for for whatever that you know, whatever that issue is. Yeah. Yeah. No, really appreciate you going into detail on that. Um, and you had some experience developing a product. Was it with AIG a while back as well? We don't have to go into a lot of detail, but I remember you mentioning that specifically with their Boley and Coley product, if that's correct. And that just stuck with me because we, we do that here. So I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm always curious when I hear that. Right. Right. No, it, it, uh, you know, 20 years ago or so, um, private placement became uh, just a really good chassis for moving uh, a lot of cash in, you know, into that protected environment. And back then, um, before the rules changed, you could even you could transfer assets into the policy. It would trigger gain going in, but you could hold all kinds of things in a life insurance contract. So that was kind of the wild west. It was American General who 
created the policy and then became AIG. And I think AIG is kind of leaving or has left at least the foreign market. Yeah. But um, but there are a lot of there, you know a really good opportunities for you know investment advisors for clients to use that environment or that structure for an equity portfolio, especially in an increasing tax rate environment, which is what we're possibly facing. Yeah. But your product is different in that it's really a bond replacement product. So you don't have the risk of the equity market. So honestly, you could almost do two policies. You could have an equity structure with a private placement product and then the cash product that um, that you have both in the same portfolio. Yeah, no, I, I love it. And what you mentioned before the fees too, uh, commissions for insurance agents that we work with and, and that listen is it all comes down to the, the structure of the policy. And what I've noticed in 100% of cases, especially if one's very, very focused on the guaranteed values, which I often am, um, if you minimize that compensation, no matter how you slice that policy, you maximize the consumer benefit. Like right. 10 out of 10 times. And yeah, you can make up some non-guaranteed hypothetical 1% chance scenario to say, hey, if I increase the compensation here, there's a 1% chance the client might have a little bit more long-term. Like, yeah, but that's all a hypothetical. And the reality is based on those illustrations and then actual results, like the data we've seen from corporations that, that place policies here, it doesn't come true. Like when you look at the minimum compensation and how to beef up that cash value, 10 out of 10 times that optimizes their value. And most people that come to us say, okay, the death benefit is important long-term, but Steve, my goal is optimizing the cash value. I want to see that maximized so it's there right away. And if I want to use it, I can. That is my goal. Show me how to accomplish that goal. Yeah. And what's so here, you know, for your listeners, the thing that's interesting is that, um, you know, whenever you are you know, looking at a product, you have to understand what the culture surrounding that product is, right? And every single um, industry has a culture. The insurance culture, for a long, long time, brokers were accustomed to just selling, you know, a product. Now there's, you know, history, you, you go from whole life to, you know, there's, there is some historical change, but the reality is the culture was, sell a policy, get a big commission, and then leave, right? Exit. And so the shift toward high cash value meant we had to have brokers who stayed involved, right? You can't just take a whole slew of cash, shove it into a product, and then walk away and just rely on the company to give you the illustrations. So what's happened over the last, at least what I've seen over the last 15 years is a shift and the brokers didn't really like it, right? They didn't like reducing their upfront commission. It was really hard to get them to take a trail commission because it was a shift in culture. Yeah. And I experienced that in a whole host of situations where I would be talking about the need for this shift in culture. And the brokers were really, really, really not happy about you know, about someone like me going out and encouraging clients to do this because then now, you know, they didn't want to give up those huge 
upfront commissions. But the reality is that if you do that and you take a trail, then everyone's interests are aligned, right? So I, I do feel like the, the industry has shifted a little bit, but it's kind of like a barge that that's taking forever to shift. And that was frankly, one of the things I liked about talking to you, Steve, is that you got it and, and we shared the same value, which is let's do what's best for the client and all the rest of it's gonna you know, come out in the wash. Exactly, yeah, do the right thing and you'll do fine in business. I mean, the money will come naturally. That's the mindset from day one. And it's, it's true. And that's the case in any business, honestly. If you just do that, people will want to work with you and then you'll do well naturally. Yeah, that, right. that, that's it. As simple as we make it sound in the complex world of, of insurance and estate planning. Um, let's transition a little bit into what what you do. And from experience, like I've, I'm working with you personally for myself and business, right? Going through that process and I've enjoyed it. Um, around tax planning and business planning, just a lot of creative steps that I wasn't aware of. And I have exposure to business and estate planning because in a sense, I deal with it every day with clients and they've got policies and such. Um, but what what impressed me and from the people we've referred to you, they've all shared this a similar um, or similar feedback they've been impressed is, okay, here are some things you can do but it's communicated in a way where I actually get it. <laughs> that makes sense. Like, okay, it makes sense. So as far as what your firm does, so you and your associates, what is your, your go-to? I know you've got the tax planning, but if you kind of want to go into that a little bit, like where you can provide a ton of value, I think that'll be a good, good um, subject for listeners. Thanks, Steve. So I think um, where we... What we do is, well, let me just back up. We take a holistic approach to our clients. So um, if, if, and I'll just take Steve, he's uh, a good example. Um, you know, our goal with a client, a young couple with a, with a business, um, you know, we want to look at both. What is it they want to do with regard to their estate? Do they have children? Do they have people they want to benefit? Do they have a charitable interest? Um, so that's the estate side. Then we look at the business. How is the business operating? Um, we look at it from an asset protection standpoint. You know, are they mixing management duties with equity value? Um, what kinds of tax elections do we want to make? Does a C-Corp make sense? Does a pass-through make sense? Does an S-Corp make sense? Um, what kinds of agreements do we put in place to protect the intellectual property, for instance? I had a client, well, she had just come to us right before the corona situation, and we hadn't had time to do planning for her. She had to declare bankruptcy, and I was sitting there in the meeting with the bankruptcy lawyer on Zoom, and it was so awful to have to tell her that all of her intellectual property had she'd lost it. She was going to have to buy it back from the bankruptcy trustee. So things like separating out your really valuable assets from your operating assets, places where you have contracts. So we, we look at that. Then the, the next thing we look at is um, what are the other risks that are out there? So some of them, maybe you're not fully insured. Um, some of them might be your tax risk is too high and we need 
a good, you know, and we also look at market forces. What do we think is happening? I don't pretend to be an investment advisor, but um, it's easy to see certain trends when you've lived as long as I have, right? You can see inflation coming. You can see housing bubbles bursting. You can, you know, see some of those things. And we also do a lot of research and spend a lot of time focusing on monetary policy and international banking. And so um, some of the risks we might see is you have way too much cash in a bank that, um, you know, is upside down. And those are banks with a lot of derivatives on their books. And there's some bank regulation issues that make me uncomfortable. So we might want to put some of that cash into a private bank in Switzerland, uh, only because we could do it here in the US, but we don't have any here. Yeah. You know, banks that don't invest their own money, that just charge fees. So we'd be looking for a way to diversify. Um, and then, you know, on the insurance side, when we're looking at taxes, especially in today's environment, well, first of all, interest rates are really low and taxes are going up. So something that is going to reduce the tax rate on the investment, but get a better return on the cash. Um, so it's, it's a very holistic look at things, which, um, you know, if you, most lawyers want to look at one thing. They want to look, I want to do the estate planning. I want to do the business planning. I'll do the tax planning. I'll do the insurance planning. But the problem is you need one person who can see the whole forest mm -hmm. because otherwise somebody's going to make, it's like, um, it, you know, it's like having five doctors, each one of them looking at a separate organ. You really need somebody who's looking at the whole system to figure out, because unfortunately, if you don't, you make a one adjustment in one place and it it causes a problem in the other yeah throws everything else off that no that was great thank you so much i mean one thing that jumped out to me too that i never thought about and i think a lot of people will never think about is just how you will examine banks to know okay should you have this much money in your present position here's what could happen like just call it awareness where people often make mistakes is not it's not intentional they didn't know like, I didn't know that was going to happen, but now it did. Now I know not to do it again. So I, I learned from my own experience where if you have someone to say, wait, hold up, don't turn down that road because you're going to be stuck in traffic for the next six hours. Take this detour and you'll make it on time. <laughs> right. No, it's true. Yeah. 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 No, that, that's, that's, that's true. And um, I was, I had dinner with some clients last night and, um, and they had never really asked me about my background. And they said, so you were an English major in college and you're a lawyer and you do all these things. I was like, well, yeah, because it's all reading comprehension. It's a question of how much time and energy do you want to spend on all of this? And I can't tell you how many times in my career I've written some article or I've pointed something out on the national <laughs> on a national basis. And people are like, who are you to say that? You know, the, I read an article saying that the charging order was not the exclusive remedy against a partnership years and years and years ago. And, um, and I said, well, I'm, I guess I'm the only one who read both statutes together because you have the partnership statute, but you also have civil practice and remedies code. Yeah. Partnership statute says there's a charging order. Civil practice and remedy code says a charging order creates a lien and the lien can be foreclosed on. It's not the exclusive remedy, right? So, so often it's just reading the code. That's it. You re or you read the statutes. And, and, and the problem is that a lot of people 
try to do things without reading all the handbooks. Correct. And to have someone to help accelerate that time. No, I, I agree. And reading tax law and articles is, is challenging. Right. Um, most people don't know what it means or they find it boring. It's like, ah, can someone just tell me what to do? <laughs> that's often the reaction. Yeah. And I'll, I'll I'll relate it, not to say it's on the same level by any means, but to insurance contract, just the, the language and just the games, I'll say this lightly, the games insurance companies will play that to say in, a, in their contract language, I can add as much money as I want into PUAs, but then another stipulation to say, ah, you might not be able to, but we're going to keep it very vague. And then we reach out to the home office and like, well, we write it that way on purpose so we can protect ourselves. I'm like, well, yeah. we need some, some clarity. But I, I get it. Um, but having someone that can do that or communicate that to you plainly. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Right. Nice. Let's um, talk a little bit about uh, just call it estate taxes or, or planning with life insurance and trusts because the, the general belief out there is if I'm going to put a high cash value life insurance policy, take mine, for example, into an irrevocable trust, a lot of general training is, hey, once you do that, no matter what, you have no access to any cash value for anything, period. But there are ways you can access it. And I, I've heard you talk about it and I've seen others do it. And I know there are just from experience, but kind of talking through that, just maybe an example or two or what you see to be very common where people fall into traps and, hey, here's a way to avoid it or get out of it. That, that I think, is something that's very valuable because a lot of people we work with have big policies they set up for cash value, but that death benefit's going to put them over the estate tax threshold. So having that awareness is very valuable. Right. No, it's, it's really true because so many people, especially now with such a high exclusion, 11.7 million, have, have just kind of discounted it. So they've, and they've bought policies for themselves and their children, yep. and they are focused on the cash value, but not the death benefit, because the way that the rules work um, for your listeners to remind them, if you have incidents of ownership over a life insurance policy, that means you can change the beneficiary, you have any control whatsoever, that death benefit comes into your estate when you die, not just the cash value. Right. So, um, you know, kind of step one, if, you, if you're starting at the beginning, you can use an irrevocable trust to fund those premiums. Um, you know, you, you have to choose who the beneficiary is. So if you're giving it away for gift and estate tax purposes, it wouldn't be you, right? Um, but if you're thinking of buying one for your children, which a lot of people do, I would set up a trust for the children, put the premiums in to that policy, and, um, and then the cash can come out to benefit the children. It can pay for college, it can pay for a wedding um, because the trustee can access the cash and then distribute it or loan it to the beneficiary in the same way as the individual could if they owned the policy. So it, you don't give up any of that flexibility yeah, by yeah. using the trust, but you keep it out of, out of your estate for estate tax purposes. Now, the, the thing that's hard is if you have a policy and you realize now for a lot of you, um, I don't know how many of your listeners have policies, but um, if the estate tax exemption does go down to three and a half million dollars, which is, you know, at least uh, Senator Sanders proposal currently in the Senate, um, 
we, uh, you know, a lot of you may have policies that are going to put you over the estate tax limit. So you might be wondering, what do I do? How do I cure that? Well, one of the things that you can do is, let's say the policies on your life um, as parent, you could sell it to a grantor trust for the benefit of your children. You have to value it. And there's something, some <laughs> this crazy term that the IRS uses, interpolated terminal reserve value that you have to get from the insurance company, right? And you have to pay for it, but but you can sell it and avoid the three-year rule. Uh, you know, the three-year rule says if I transfer a life insurance contract and I die within three years, then the contract comes back into my estate. But you can avoid that by selling it. But in order to avoid the income tax rule issue where it becomes a taxable investment, you have to sell it in essence to yourself. So what the rules say is if I sell it to a grantor trust, and it's the insured who's the grantor, then we avoid what's called the transfer for value rules, which is the negative income tax rules. So if you've got some policies and you're going to need to rehab the structure, just don't forget that you can sell them to grantor trusts. Mm -hmm. um, if it's a policy on your child's life, right? And you own the policy, then um, you're not going to be able to do it that simply because you wouldn't want the child to be the grantor because you're the one who's the owner, but you could absolutely put the policy in some kind of LLC structure, <clears throat> bring the premiums in going forward from a new completed gift trust to limit the amount that is actually in your estate. So you create a joint owner going forward, <clears throat> right? Yeah. And so that would be another technique we could use to um, move value out of your estate. Now, don't forget that, while I don't think that this bill is going to pass, um, I think that there will be a reduction in the estate tax exemption. Um, the current bill is going to limit gift tax, oh, I mean, uh, gift exemption over your lifetime to only a million dollars. So it's not the way it is now where it's a unified system. It's also purporting to limit the amount you can give away per year, not by donee, but by donor wow. to only $30,000 a year. Mm -hmm. So any structure that we put in place, we'd have to also take into account the possibility where we might need to loan money into the structure which we know we can do. We can't do split dollar anymore, but we know we can do loans. So there are, I, I guess the point is there's so much that we can do, um, but the planning, you know, we need to make sure that we put the right planning in place. And by the way, we, the one thing we know about estate and gift tax is that we know taxes are certain on death, but we also know that the rules are going to change drastically. Um, so we want to make sure that we're flexible enough, but on the estate tax side, I think that that's one of the things that I've noticed is that a lot of people forget that they can sell the policy to a grantor trust or use an LLC structure to bring in premium to
to avoid some of the you know bad consequences on debt. Yeah, beautiful. And that that was great information. Transparency. I mean, that's one of the things just to, that I've I've enjoyed about you and your firm, just from the other associates I've talked to as well. They're very transparent and give that information. And it's more or less okay. Here's the the current playing field as far as what's going on. It's going to change because it always changes. But right. you, yeah, but I don't have to myself try and keep up to speed with it because it's complex. I'm focusing on my business. Like that's what I'm doing right now, trying to grow that and help people with the technical insurance policies. So having someone that can do that, I mean, I, I appreciate that and knowing that they're that you're going to stay on top of it, like that's important. And that's where what I think is lacking a lot just in the world in general to say, okay, I can trust someone that they've got it and I can focus on what I'm focusing on, focusing on with peace of mind. Not have to keep looking over my shoulder and say, oh, let me check it again, say this. That's helpful. It lets you become much more efficient at whatever it is you're trying to do. And I think the other thing that's really helpful <clears throat> is that um, I think using PowerPoint. Now, granted, I developed that for myself um, in the old days. But if you have PowerPoint charts that show the relationship with everything, all of the assets, the, the disposition, um, because human brains, feng shui is a real thing, right? Um, so the concept that there's a certain energy to patterns, it's really true. So if you have something that is visual, most people understand boxes and lines better than they do um, Excel spreadsheets. Now, people like Steve, like you, your <laughs> Excel spreadsheets are like your bread and butter, right? And they're, they're really helpful to a lot of people but tracking the relationship among things, PowerPoint does a great job. And that's one of the tools we use, not those kind of crazy, like round triangle mm -hmm. X, things where you have to, so we use very simple charts because then in your mind, it's easy to remember too. Correct. Yeah, I've got mine on my desk here, the one you created for me. So that I'm always looking at that, <laughs> but I'm a nerd with that stuff. <laughs> Cool. Well, thanks for going into that as well. Um, why don't we we transition a little bit just from the the people that um, you have spoken with that I've talking to as well, speak spoken with as well. Um, your firm works with a lot of people that do extremely well, right? Very, very high net worth. Um, but that's I know that's not your focus. One because before we even connected. I saw your video where you've got a heart or really you enjoy working with the small business owner, the entrepreneur trying to get to that next level. And that I'm going to stop there. I'll talk about that all day long. Um, but as far as who you work with, I mean, you're not exclusive just to people that have $200 million in cash or anything like that. If you want to, if you want to you know, speak to that a little bit or go into detail, I think that'll be very valuable because at first, I was a little bit when I reached out, I'm like, do I even like qualify to work with her just based on <laughs> based on our company's revenue and such? Um, and it wasn't the case at all. I mean, you're you're open from what I what I can see working with anyone who's willing to to work with you. Right. No, I think I, so. Let me just give a little bit of <clears throat> that background. Um, I think that you know I have a personal passion for small business owners. I think that. Um, it's my belief that small business is the backbone of a free market economy. And 
we are in a period in history where small business owners need support because there's a lot of momentum against them. And, uh, and there was a period in my career where I was really, really burned out. And it was one of my clients who is an entrepreneur who um, really supports other entrepreneurs. And he called me into his office and he said, what is up with you? Are you thinking about quitting and you know going into the jungles to give babies shots? Because that's what you've been talking about forever. I said, well, actually, yes, I'm just tired. I said, I'm so tired. And, he, and then he gave me the impassioned speech of, Elizabeth, you cannot quit. You have to support small businesses. And it was in that meeting that I, you know, he lit the fire again <laughs> in me. And, and that is absolutely my passion to create a group of uh, lawyers and systems to, su to support small businesses. So some of my clients actually support small businesses themselves, right? They're coaches. And I, you know, I work with them to create systems. I go and speak to their groups about what happens in the life cycle of a business. Because a, a small entrepreneur, if you're starting up your business, if you start it up well, right, get your foundation structured really well, hopefully you can avoid those pitfalls that most small, small businesses suffer. Because what happens is you go in, you don't really know what you're doing. You do some things you shouldn't, and then now you crash and burn, and now you have to build from the period of the burning. Now, the good news is, is in our country, we actually have some ways that small business owners can recover, which is one of the reasons why I think our country has been so successful. But what I like to do is help those small business owners from the very beginning, you know, someone with an idea. How, and, and I have a bunch of children myself. And um, so I'm constantly talking to them, even this morning, one of um, a, a girlfriend of one of my sons about her business and how she could start it and how she could source material in India and what that would look like and what the business structure would look like. So, um, so no, while we you know, the way we're a firm that can help people do stuff. And it doesn't matter who, you know, what size you are, what your net worth is. Um, we, you know, if you call us and there's some tools that we have to help you, we will love to help you. Um, you know, people who a lot of times inherited wealth doesn't really need all of the tools that we provide I think we really are better suited for entrepreneurs, but I do have some inherited wealth individuals who've become their own entrepreneurs, right? So that's that's what we're best suited to help. It has nothing to do. I even hate that that term, high net worth, ultra high net worth, yeah. because it's really um, I, I think it's off putting. What what we are doing is helping people be creative, find ways to make money. Um, help their employees. You know, during the Corona <laughs> situation, a couple of my associate attorneys were like, Elizabeth, now we're HR people, like we're doing human resources. I said, yeah, because that's what our clients need right now. We're going to help them figure out how to lay off their clients, bring them back, do PPP loans. So, you know, that is really our heart and our passion is to support small business. And I wish I could support 
a whole bunch more than we can. And in a perfect world, we'll figure out how to do that. But that really just comes from my strong belief and passion for small business. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I, I love that. And finding a way to duplicate yourself so you can continue to do that. I think that's a challenge all businesses deal with that. We're working on that now. We have been forever, but really focusing on it now. It's it's a challenge, but I mean, it's possible. It just takes time, effort and patience. <laughs> right. No, it's it's really true. And, and there are some things. One of the things I was going to bring up to Steve is that um, you know, that old Einstein saying, if you don't understand, if you, uh, if, if you, if you don't, you can't explain it simply if you don't understand it well enough or something like that, basically. And I think that that's the challenge that, uh, so many people who are out there telling people how to do things, they don't understand it well enough to explain it simply, mm-hmm. because honestly, this is all very simple. It, it, it really is. It just feels complicated because someone hasn't put enough thought into it to, to put it in its box because there are boxes, Correct. right? Mm-hmm. And granted, it changes, right? The tax system is changing how we would do, you know, all of a sudden C-Corps became a deal again. So then we had to restructure. When would we use a C-Corp? Maybe now we need to have, you know, qualified small business stock again. Oh, oops. Now the, now the tax rate's changing again. So, but it's still, if you understand it well enough, you can explain it simply. So the other thing I would tell your listeners is while you need people to help you with your business, and I'm always happy to help people with their businesses. My goal is for my business owners to understand their businesses themselves Mm -hmm. and to have the tools themselves so they feel very comfortable with those tools and so that I work myself out of a job right that's my goal my goal isn't to have a whole bunch of people dependent on talking to me all the time my goal is to to give you a foundation that you understand and then help you as you grow so when things need to change I help you change them gotcha beautiful now, thanks for going into that. And that's something in a, a similar way, we'll preach and communicate, we'll preach communication, talk about communication all the time, communicating it in a simple manner where people get it. Because it, it can be challenging when you're talking about tax law and business structure. I don't, I don't understand a lot of it as well as I'd like to, the nitty gritty stuff that you've shared. But, and I, I talk about this with the insurance product is to my agents and staff, it's one thing to understand it it is a completely different thing to communicate it effectively right yep. and that yeah often this is going to sound simple it just takes practice like say it out loud people hear me talking to myself in my office sometimes say it out loud how did that sound to you did it make sense or you say what are you talking about okay then say it again a different way repeat it and this way it's smooth and, and that i've seen this to be so so consistent among people that do extremely well in business. You're like, look at that person. How do they do it? They did that kind of stuff. They practiced a million times. They repeated it. They worked that muscle so much. That's it. And that's encouraging to me because it just shows anyone can do it if you're willing to practice and put the time in. And that's right. that's a personal belief. I know that's off topic, but I like that. Stuff. No, no, no. I, I think that's exactly right. And and you know, 
the, um, you know, finding those tools to help you do that is hard sometimes, but really important. Definitely. So. Yeah, definitely. Why don't we um, kind of wrap up? Just one more question I have is if someone, like if I come to you as a potential client say, okay, I like what your firm does, but I have an attorney already. Like, what do I do? Cause I like them. I don't, I don't want to have to fire them. Like how, how would that work? Can I work with you and maintain a relationship with another attorney or group law firm that I work with? Yeah, no, abs that's a good question. Absolutely. Um, we are licensed lawyers uh, in New York, Tennessee, Texas, and California. Um, those are the various bar associations that, that uh, we have in the firm so far. Um, we had Florida, but uh, our Florida lawyer went home to help her uh, very ill father. So, so what that means is that we aren't the primary lawyer preparing documents in states other than those. So if you have an estate lawyer, that's great because we would want to work with them. We would want to come in as the consultant, either to help on the insurance planning side, the asset protection, the business planning side. We work really, really well with other lawyers. And, um, and, and it's the joy that we have of being able, you know, if you're in a big firm, you have to work with the lawyers in the firm. It's really frowned on if you start going and creating relationships with other firms. But we're a small firm. So what that means is we're always looking for other lawyers to work with. So we, you know, I was just in California. I have a California lawyer, but there are California lawyers we work with. I was, I talked to one of them yesterday. I'm going to help his client with his Mexican trust issue. Um, so we, there's no competition. I mean, we love to do whatever bit part we can do. We're happy to, to have a consulting relationship and add value to whatever your existing lawyers are doing. Yeah. So Nice. That, that helps. I mean, that would help me if I had someone just knowing, okay, I don't want to bring someone else in and feel like they're fighting or, you know, am I undercutting them? No, no. It's how can we work together? That's a nice mindset to, to have. Uh, Cause again, it's not that, it's not that common. You see that you see that out there. Yeah. And you know what we really like to do is something that a lot of law firms don't like to do. We really like to develop all the charts, maintain them, do more of the family office work. So for a lot of law firms, they'll, you know, I have a couple, I have a, a I have a number of clients where we have estate planning lawyers in other states. And, you know, I'll just offer to do the charts. And they are so happy to have someone do that because that's just not something that they can do very easily in their firm. So that's another way that we work really well together with lawyers in other states where we do kind of the family office work. We do the charts, we maintain the, you know, the information about the clients. We're working on some software to help us do that more efficiently. But that's also something that we really enjoy doing that a lot of estate lawyers or business lawyers won't necessarily do. Gotcha. Very nice. That's something I think maybe we could talk about another time, just the, the family office concept as that ties in to life insurance and legacy planning like, beautifully. Um, and people hear it a lot of times and they know wealthy families ha have utilized it. But if you ask them to explain it, 
they wouldn't they wouldn't get it uh, and because there's not that much information or there's too much information and it's always conflicting so that's that's a nice concept to be extremely effective but um yeah, we can talk about that another time <laughs> yeah before we go off that topic and to lay the foundation for a future podcast yeah family offices there are two types the one that you see most often is a family office construct that brings wealth together for investment purposes. Okay, that's when most people say family office, it took me a while to realize this because that isn't what I mean by family office, but that's what most people mean. So all of the big family office groups, they give you good information, but their real purpose is to bring wealthy people together so they can invest together. So what you end up with is a lot of people coming to those meetings to sell their funds or their investments. What, what we're talking about, what Steve, you and I talk about when we say family office, it's the real family office. How can we manage our estate planning for now? And then how do we add our children into the discussion? Um, and then how do we lay a foundation and a predicate for our grandchildren, right? How do we create the systems and the platform, et cetera? That's what you and I mean by family office, but that's not what most people mean by gotcha. family office. Gotcha. No, thanks for that clarity. Yeah, that that I didn't know. I just think of it one way personally. Look at that. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I, 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 it was, uh, I, I, I merged my firm into a big firm and uh, to, to come in and head up the family office practice. And it took me a while to, to realize that their view of family office practice and mine was completely different. So um, it, we just had different views. So we went our separate ways. Um, but, you know, it, there's a need for that kind of family office joint investment kind of thing. But there's also really probably more of a need, especially with entrepreneurs, if you think about it, they are so busy with their business, their business is doing so well. Um, how are they going, they need someone to help them manage through that transition to have a monetization event and then create real wealth in the future. Exactly, beautiful. Well, this has been great. Uh, again, appreciate your time. I know you've got always a million things going on, um, but really appreciate you taking some time today. Um, you feel free to come back anytime. We'll definitely be inviting you. A anything else you wanted to, to add? I don't like just cutting people off when they're on a roll. <laughs> no, no. I just appreciate so much, Steve, what you're doing and what you're doing for your listeners in terms of education and uh, and really um, enjoying so much our relationship. Like, so thank you for having me. Likewise. No, thank you so much. Well, looking forward to, to talking to you again and for everyone listening, contact info for Elizabeth and her firm is below uh, on the link. Feel free to reach out anytime and we'll talk to you all soon. Thanks. Have Bye. a great day. Bye, Elizabeth. Thanks.